my friends to the show that never ends we're so glad you could attend come inside come inside yes i did that twice in a row um i had that song stuck in my head earlier so that's where that comes from um welcome to another installment of old punks never die they just moved to the back uh a biography of paul cripple of reagan youth and house of god um paul welcome back again man how's uh, how's things uh, things are, are doing great. Um, thank you for having me back. So, uh, on the last episode, um, you, you talked about your, your lovely vacation going to see your family in Croatia. And, um, you mentioned like uh, your cousin asked you, Hey, you're still sticking a needle in your arm. And he mentioned, uh, you know, getting clean in the nineties and, you know, I was, I was thinking, I've had this, I've struggled with this question like my entire life. You know, I I was a young uh, man. I was kind of above, uh, politically aware, above average intelligence, that sort of thing. And, it, um, you know, I struggled with depression and drugs back then too. And um, like, what is it about people that are, let's say, you know, uh, somewhat politically aware or, you know, free thinkers or something along those lines, not to toot our horn, horns too much, you know, but that um, we sort of of struggle with um, the emotional side of things or like uh, struggle with drugs or, you know, depression. And, you know, you see this story over and over and over again, you know, uh, every, every decent artist or thinker or poet is, you know, uh, you know, an alcoholic or doing drugs or whatever the thing. So is it just that you're like people of that um, mindset, do you think they're just like very aware of the amount of pain in the world and have trouble coming to terms with it or, or empathize with it? And, and you know, the, they sort of express that in their art, but they're sort of traumatized by it at the same time. Like, what do you, what do you think, where do you think that comes from? Uh, I think empathy is a big part of it. Artists definitely know how to feel, you know, and um, uh, I think they feel despair a lot because, 
I think they see how the world could actually be if mankind just, you know, got a half a percent, you know, half a percent or one percent more brain power. You know how we only use like 10 percent of our brain or some shit like that? And I used to say that in, in high school back when I was going. But anyway, I think artists are caught in despair with how a situation in in their life or what they've seen and the empathy that they have it, it hits them and a lot of them like to you know dull that dull that despair with with um with substances and or bad behaviors you know whether it be um substances could be uh prostitutes or it could be gambling, you know, it could be a lot of things. Um, but I think a lot of it comes from uh, the the heart of the artist, you know. Um, when you're talking about science, you're talking about the brain. Arts, you're talking about the heart. So arts and sciences, you know, the art is definitely, it's your heart that's that's leading the way with i think the aspiration of one day even though we are like blind orphans searching for that anarchist society you know in the middle of the night with our with our little candles we will find it because our hearts are pure that's the way i look at it and i look at it that the artists of today especially the you know now in the 21st century I don't care if you're a dancer or a writer or a comedy or whatever your art may be, you're probably closer to being a priest. You're closer to being, you're closer to um, uh, the entity that could possibly be called God because religion had a place 2000 years ago when people didn't know how to read and write. Someone needed in history, like um, Arab history begins with Islam because that's when they started writing things down. Unless you're talking about sources outside of, Islam, you know, Islamic writers. Because there was no Islam back then. And yeah, um, pagan societies didn't normally write things down. Um, but yeah, you know, it's old. Uh, religion is is so backwards so i mean it's uh, and yes the church stole a lot from the peasants uh the peasant would show up to the priest i got a letter uh, i don't know how to read i don't account but i don't have money coming to me and it'll say oh you see that that's a five you got five hundred dollars coming to you meanwhile the guy really had five thousand and the priest would just take the four thousand five hundred to himself they did that because they were the only ones that that was a special privilege. The printing press kind of was like the internet on steroids. Countries went to war with that, and you could see how how you have a bunch of falsehoods and a bunch of plagiarism all over the place on the internet. That's what the printing press was like when it was first invented. So yeah, and you know, you have to have balls to allow a printing press onto your territory because you're 
going to make your people smarter. And, you know, what's the justification for having a church, a religion? Are we still connected? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, well, I, I like I just here. like listening to you talk, man. So I was oh. just letting you roll it. <laughs> oh, oh, thank no, you. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, so yeah. I mean, I think you. Uh, so what? What place does? I, okay, let's go with. Well, religion direction. does have a place in America, and it's to rile up people to b- make them believe that Jesus had the physique of Sylvester Stallone and would be called Rambo if he was alive today and would sound exactly like Elvis Presley. <laughs> He'd be wrapped in an American flag with the aviator sunglasses. Right. That's the role religion plays now. You know, it used to be, let's, you know, keep, uh, you know, books alive. Let's, you know, keep knowledge alive. That's why they're called clever, like clerical work. You know, and, hey, and you're this, this recent when the French Revolution, I want to learn how to read and write. How come only priests can do it? You know, French Revolution, very important. When they took the priest, then they baptized them in the name of, you know, uh, whoever and, and drowned them in the, in the holy water. Like, you know, fuck you. You know, that, that was a big fuck you to the, you know, to the, um, Catholic Church, what happened during the French Revolution, which also inspired anarchy. Yeah, in some sense. Yeah, I mean, everything's uh, sort of stemmed well, from uh, there were old revolutionaries. There were old yeah. revolutionaries in the Paris Commune along with anarchists and the Blanquists. Uh, uh, Blanc was in jail, so his political party didn't have any kind of uh, power during that period. And the Franco-Prussian War ended, and the French asked if they could get their weapons back from the Germans so they could go kill everyone in Paris. And they'll say disparaging things about the Paris Commune. You know, there was a woman there saying she was Jesus Christ. Yeah, big deal. There's a guy in China around the same time saying he was Jesus Christ during the Taiping Rebellion or something. I'm I'm probably wrong with that. Uh, But I know it had something to do with... um, Opium, obviously, in China, but the point is, um, there are there are there are hopes and aspirations in people who have empathy, who have that um, you know despair. Hey, we got to make things better. You know, I don't want to be a disgusting human being that just you know um, wants Netflix and beer and doesn't care about the world burning around them. You know, I mean, that that can get very depressing for a lot of people who find that very important. So what, what, what did it for you? Like, how did you work through that yourself? You know, how did you end up uh, deciding to sort of get clean, like you said, in the, in the back um, of uh, When I finally ended up believing And I remember a counselor said, you have a disease. I said, oh, come on, you believe that um, addiction is a disease bullshit? And he described how if you have diabetes and you eat a case of Malamars, you're going to overdose. It's the same thing if a junkie, you know, takes a, a bundle of heroin and overdoses. 
you know, um, and if it's not treated, you know, you end up dead or in a hospital and if you're not treated, you end up dead institution, you know, and knowing that it wasn't my fault that I had a disease, I had a sickness, you know, are you willing to go and get help for the sickness? And they said, there's no shame in having a disease. There's just shame in not doing anything about it. And um, I, I believed it. And what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to, how am I going to conquer this? And I went to the methadone clinic. And when I got my methadone, I didn't run back and try to find uh, coke and heroin and this and that because it was, I was like, I was running a shooting gallery literally at that time. Um, it was in the projects. This girl left her apartment. I had the keys. So I ended up inheriting an apartment and I just let anyone get high there or have sex behind the couch or drug date in this room. And I got to do a lot of drugs and make money. Not that I paid rent or any shit like that. But um, when you uh, got... Um, I'm just saying that, you know what, when you're feeling like that, you're running towards it, you're never going to catch yourself. And what I did at that methadone clinic was, I'm not going back there. I'm going to save a dollar and get a bagel and a coffee. Bagel's 50 cents, coffee's 50 cents. I have a dollar and just eat that bagel. And sip that coffee and wait for the methadone to take over and feel it. Because I've been taking it and just running to the cop spot or, you know, to the shooting gallery isn't going to, you're not going to feel it, you know? So I started feeling it. And then from there, I didn't have, uh, if I didn't have money, I'd go to the library and wait for the newspaper. Or if no one was looking at the newspaper, I'd end up grabbing the newspaper and spending a half hour there and just allowing the prescribed med to come over me. And um, I started getting turned off by, you know, when I separated myself in that, in that, um, in that scenario, I, uh, <clears throat> it gave me that head start. <laughs> eventually the cops came and kicked us out of that um, spot and me and my wife split up at that time and I lived upstate for a year and I didn't do any drugs and I worked on a golf course landscaping from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Sunday and I made a lot of money paid off debts you know uh, got my driver's license back stuff like that and when I went back to the city I started dipping and dabbling and I saw how quickly I could get high, you know, how quickly I could get high and I don't feel it after a week, you know, like, nah, you know, a whole year I haven't done it. And it felt like the first time, the first time I did it, but by the end of the week, it feels like I could do six or seven of these bags just to get straight. That's what it felt like. So I kind of caught myself. Um, I went uh, and got a job driving a taxi, which 
um, wasn't wasn't bad, but it wasn't helpful because I'd been using that as a way to buy drugs, driving around, getting money, put the off-duty light on, go buy drugs, and then go out, make more money, then put the off-duty light on, go back, get drugs, and until you get to the end of the night and you're just working to make your lease so you can get the cab the next day. Um, I ended up losing that job because uh, I didn't have a license and I got a job as a limousine dispatcher and I got paid bi-weekly instead of every day. And I went from dipping and dabbling drugs every day to now doing it every two weeks. And I was still on methadone. And, and at that time I realized, what if I don't drink my entire take-home bottle? And I only drank half. And then the next weekend, I mean, next Sunday, I only drank half. So I had an extra bottle. At the end of the month, I had an extra two bottles. And then I realized that, and I started giving clean urines. And I started getting more bottles. And I started only drinking half of my prescribed dose. When I would go to the clinic to get my normal dose, I was basically getting double what I normally would give myself. So I would feel high on that day, which was which was a good feeling because you go to Methadone Clinic, it's shitty and you just want to leave there. And if you can leave there high, there's no better feeling because you're leaving there and you're feeling good about yourself. And um, after a while, I stopped doing street drugs altogether. I was like, what's the point? You know, um, I have a prescribed drug. Um, it's keeping me from getting arrested, from ending up in a institution, a jail, or death. Like, you know, the drug, you know, like the disease of addiction does. And a lot of times I would hear people say, hey, uh, this guy has killer dope want to come i get all excited like i got money in my wallet this guy probably knows what he's talking about and i'll catch myself and i'll say wait a second why should i put myself at risk getting arrested first off second off why should i take money out of my wallet to pay for something that all right i don't have heroin at home but i have enough methadone to kill a baby elephant in my refrigerator at this point you know and uh, I could just go get high on clinical uh, synthetic heroin and methadone. I don't know if you know the history of methadone. Um, you could look it up in Wikipedia. They're going to say that's bullshit, but it's not. Because even met, uh, nurses at my clinic have told me this as a fact. At the end of World War II, the Germans were surrounded and soldiers couldn't fight because they couldn't get any painkillers. The Allies surrounded them. They couldn't get opium to make morphine. And Hitler told the scientists, come up with a synthetic opioid. Come up with a synthetic heroin. And they came up with dolphine, which is like Adolf's fiend. And uh, dolphine is a pill version of methadone. And when you look up methadone, it says it was created April 1945. Like, yeah, the American scientific community decided to invent methadone 
the last month of World War II. They didn't take the patent from there, you know, which is what they did. And um, I'll meet kids who will tell me, I don't want to, like, you know, go on methadone. It's horrible. And I'll mention, you know, it was created by the Nazis. And they'll get all interested in it. And then I'll see the guy two years later. They'll tell me, thank you, Paul, you got me clean. I'm on methadone. And it's like, that's great. But why did, why did it have to take, um, why did it have to go there? That, you know, the only way you were going to be uh, allowing yourself to try this thing that ends up getting you clean, saving your life. You're not stealing from your friends anymore. You don't look like death. The thing that changed your mind was that the Nazis invented it. I get it. They had good scientists back there back then i got it but i mean why did it have to take that you know and unfortunately new york city especially the punk rockers a lot of them have that right wing survival of the fittest attitude that is very disheartening and i like to believe i mean i know we're not all equal equal but we're all human beings and we all deserve the the freedom the respect and the dignity that comes with being a human being, you know, and other cultures should be celebrated. Knowing two languages instead of one doesn't mean you don't know who you are. It should be looked upon as a good thing. It's not like when you speak Spanish and English, we'll decide what you are. Are you American? Then just speak English. That's not a good way to look at it. You look at it, wow, you know how to speak Spanish, that's great. So when you go on vacation to South America, you know, you could translate, you know, for us or whatever. You know, people like to look at things like that as bad. And those are people with no empathy and don't have an artistic bone in their body. And if they do make art, it's not art. They'll make music, but music that can never, ever be described as art. There is some music out there that is so beautiful it transcends music and becomes art. And then there's some bands out there that they don't even ever bothered learning another band's song to know what it's like to play a real song. They just came up with things like they're still in junior high and it is they don't care about arrangements and guy wants to do guitar solo there. It's you could say it's music. But you cannot say that thing is artistically viable. And I don't think you're going to find empathy or a sense of despair from those people, except the world is a game. You know, life is a game. And I'm losing in this game of life. You know, and that's what happens when you get caught up in that survival of the fittest. And, you know, alpha male, beta male bullshit. Very, dude, very well said. And I, I don't know, man. Like, um, I think that uh, what you just shared, which I really appreciate you sharing all that. Thank you. you. And I mean, but isn't that the schism that, that has been going on forever? There are people out there that believe in survival of the fittest. And then there yes. are people out there that believe that, you know what? We are not animals. We do not run from fire. 
and we can communicate and not that animals can't communicate, but we can communicate on a deeper level. And this means that we are, you know, um, should be considered not like someone's property when someone's slave. And I mean, they're trying to make slavery like a slavery has been around forever and they and conservatives want to bring it back so bad. Yeah, and, it's the uh, what they what you might call social Darwinists versus those who just want to have a good time and cooperate and be cool to each other, you know. Um, and they hate that. They yes. hate seeing people cooperating or people not being competitive. Right. Or they just not that. being a dick. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. You don't have to crush all those around you to get ahead. You know, like that's just not, it doesn't have to be that way. But to them, it's like there has to be a loser sure. or they don't feel like a winner. I'm pretty sure exactly. They that yeah. Montgomery brawl when uh, they came together. Oh, uh, Beatrice is bringing up that brawl that happened, that melee that happened. I heard something about a folding chair. I don't know the story of that, though. Uh, it's You know what? It's all over the place. We don't have to talk about it. Oh, it's sure, cool. sure. You Probably. know what? Um, I think, you know what? As long as people, and if people want to believe in the survival of the fittest, that's fine. But if it wasn't for people who don't believe in that survival of the fittest bullshit, um, that's the reason why we are not cavemen. Because yeah. if... You know what? If we never had that cooperation. And I'm sure when the wheel first came out, oh, look at this. What's wrong with um, pushing it up the hill? Well, it's easier if you put it in a cart with wheels. Oh, what's this wheel bullshit? You know what? It's the devil's work. You know, I'm sure conservatives would have found a million and one reasons why the wheel was evil. Um, why man shouldn't use it. Um, why a man is lazy and, you know, and all that stuff until they found that they could make more money by using wheels. That's when it became okay. <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, well, let, let us, uh, I got a skedaddle, but we can uh, wrap it up here. But I just want to say before we go, man, that sharing your story, I would not be surprised that if someone hearing this you might have helped somebody is what I'm saying that might be struggling with the same thing that you went through. So I really appreciate you fucking sharing your, your story and your struggle with that. And I, I really hope it helps some, you know, somebody out there who is struggling with the same thing. I've had a lot of friends I've known that struggled with that too. I had my own issues with, with it back in the day. So I, I really, I appreciate, I really appreciate you. Uh, uh, you know, sharing that with us, and I, I really hope somebody gets uh, some help out of it. Uh, me too, and, and I hope that they realize that, like me, there was someone while I was doing drugs, and I thought no one cared about me. My band, you know, imploded. My wife left me. My uh, family didn't want to have anything to do with me. There was a cousin that was worried stiff about me. I had no idea that someone was worried stiff and cared about what I was doing to myself. Please, if you're getting high, don't think no one cares. You'd be surprised. You just might find out 38 years later, guess what? 
that person was crying every night because you, you know, just because you didn't get an intervention didn't mean that there wasn't somebody that wasn't devastated at the thought of what you're doing to yourself. And I know it's a victimless, you know, crime getting high, but it does hurt those who, you know, who are around us. Yeah. Who love us, who care about us, who who we interact with even, you know? So who I would probably I who would probably help, help if you yeah, who would probably help if you reached out to them, you know? So Yeah. yeah. And 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 don't be afraid of methadone and um just realize something that the disease of addiction is a disease. And there's no shame in having disease, just shame and not doing anything about it. There's help out there. It's not your fault. Well said. Well, thanks again, man. For uh, I appreciate you coming on, brother. And I uh, love talking. I love talking. Yeah, I love talking to you. I uh, know. I really love these conversations. I love. I love just picking your brain about stuff and and hearing your your perspective on everything. So um, we'll and, be doing uh, this again I, real soon. Your other podcast, you know, you were interviewing a, a local girl, and it was a really. What was her name? Do you remember Beatrice? Uh, very, very great podcast. Listen to the whole thing. Um, oh, recently, uh, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Far, was, uh, farms. Yeah, yeah. We, I, we just went over and visited with her. We did a little live. Yeah. Podcast. Oh, I yeah. love that one. I love that one. And she got it very emotional. She got teary eyed talking about her dad. You know. Yeah. Sure did. Sure yeah. did. She's a really cool. Uh, she's a really cool lady. Uh, so. Yeah, so I know that you're surrounding stuff with really cool people, so that's how I know you're cool. I, I try to. I try to. Well, thank you, man. Um, well, I appreciate the kind words, and uh, we'll do this again real soon, I promise. So For sure. All right, take care of yourself, and have a great summer, everybody. All right, peace, brother. And peace uh, everybody be all. excellent to each other. Yes, peace unto us all. <laughs>